There's no getting around the fact that we humans have to live under limitations beyond physical, as, as it would apply to us individually, but things we have in common, such as the limits of time, space, gravity, other laws of nature. Thus, we probably have to measure things as a way to operate. People need to know how far is it, what time, how old, what size, what sequence, what degree. If it's something we can measure, or at least quantify on a numeric scale, then chances are it's something we can understand and come to terms with in our life. Let's move, though, from earthly examples to something higher, the spiritual realm of God. How are we going to understand and come to terms with the triune God? We don't have a unit of measurement large enough to see how big he is. We don't have a calendar that goes back far enough to see how long he's been around. We have no way to measure eternity. And that is exactly what God is. Eternal. Endless along any dimension we could propose. There's no limit to his existence or his power or his knowledge or his love. The fact remains, as the truth of our theme today, you can't measure the greatness of God. And that's a good thing, as we learn from Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. The apostle quotes an Old Testament verse in this way. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Whether Democrat or Republican, the U.S. president will surround himself with experts to serve as advisors, counselors, people in charge of big bureaucracies of government. God does not choose even one such person. And why should he? He has perfect knowledge of all things with such a dialed-in focus on every little bit of information at any point in time, anywhere and everywhere around the world. With that perfect knowledge combined with perfect planning, he's the only one qualified to make all the right moves for the benefit of you and me, way better than any president or king ever could. Unfortunately, we don't let that sink in like we should. Yeah, on a certain level, we'll grant that God controls all things. We, we acknowledge it to be true that every circumstance of his life of life is under 
his knowledge and control. But what happens when it gets personal? When something bad happens to us? We pull out a human measuring stick by asking the question, why? Why did you let this happen, Lord? And sometimes it's rather accusatory. God's getting even with me finally for all the bad things that I've done. The Bible has to remind us that we can't measure the where or the when of God's being, nor can we measure the why and the how of God's will. It's utterly beyond us, but you should know his unsearchable wisdom and ways are tied to a promise. It's this promise in Jeremiah. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So any trouble that you or I would experience cannot be punishment from God, not in the ultimate sense. That's not how he deals with his children. He uses every event, even the bad ones, to bring about some kind of blessing. He does that, not only because of his wisdom that we can't figure out, but especially according to his grace in Christ, his unconditional love for all people. Let's spend a moment noticing the big contrast between God and us when it comes to love. We do know how to love. There is an emotional bond, an attachment we have for family and friends. But what about strangers? What about so-called enemies? Do we reach out in love to help people who make our lives difficult? Or do we get frustrated and walk away? Do we pray for those who wish to do us harm? God stands alone as the only one who consistently loves his enemies, which is to say, everybody who turned against him, you and me included. You can tell from the perfect plan that he formed, Christ crucified, as we pondered in yesterday's chapel, God's perfect son came to take all of your guilt on his record. He came to serve your sentence, mainly because in one event called Good Friday, God put the whole world on trial. Every sin of every person laid on Christ. God measured out this full penalty that Jesus paid on your behalf. Your debt paid off. It's done. A fact of history sealed in the resurrection. That means that in God's book, you're not guilty of anything. How normal is that by human standards? It's unheard of, right? Except in the mind of God. This does not happen except in the justice system of God. No, we can't measure the greatness of God's wisdom or the fullness of his love, but we profit from it. You have eternal life because of it. And as the last verse, verse 36, implies, by faith we make it our sincere intent to speak our praise and live our thanks 
for the immeasurable grace and goodness given to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's do that right now by singing hymn 360, the first three stanzas, stanzas one, two, and three of hymn 360.